Hi, and welcome to Pimped, OBGYN, a podcast aimed at helping you excel during your clinical clerkship in obstetrics and gynecology. I'm Dr. Jennifer Dory, an OBGYN resident at Thomas Jefferson University in Philadelphia and founder of Pimped, a medical flashcard app. My particular interests are in academic OBGYN and medical student education. Welcome back to Pimped OBGYN. Let's talk real quick today about postpartum hemorrhage. Um, And this is a really common topic that both residents and attendings like to ask you questions about it because these are medications you are not going to see anywhere else except on the OB floor probably. Um, And they all have some pretty specific indications, contraindications, and concerns about them. All right, so postpartum hemorrhage. First, let's just talk about what that means. So for a vaginal delivery, everybody bleeds. Everybody's going to bleed when the placenta separates from the uterus, and if they have a laceration, um, obviously they're going to bleed. If you're doing a C-section, you're cutting somebody open, of course they're going to bleed. So what constitutes a postpartum hemorrhage? And it's different for a vaginal delivery and a C-section. So for a vaginal delivery, typically um, anything greater than 500 milliliters is considered a hemorrhage because it's more than expected. A normal vaginal delivery will have less than 500. Um, For a C-section, anything less than a thousand, so one liter is normal. Anything greater than one liter is considered um, a hemorrhage or concerning blood loss. The most common reasons for hemorrhage, most common reason, you're going to get asked this a lot because there's one clear answer above and beyond all else, um, is atony. And it's atony because, like I just said, when the placenta separates from the uterus, there's this entire bed in the uterus now that has been highly vascularized for nine months that all of a sudden all the blood flow to has nowhere to go but out until the uterus clamps down and kind of seals off that bed by really clamping itself down and decreasing its size, that that area is going to bleed and the uterus is just going to bleed. So atony, if it's not clamping down, if it's not having good tone, the uterus just continues to bleed and bleed. Um, And you'd be really surprised at how much blood you can lose so very quickly from atony. Um, So we'll quickly talk about the four basic categories, then we can go back and talk um, specifically about what we do for each of them. So people talk about postpartum hemorrhage in terms of the four T's. So tone is the first one, like we just said, atony. Trauma is the second one, so lacerations. Um, Tissue is number three, so retained products, so either placenta or membranes typically. So if you're missing a chunk of placenta or you're missing a little bit of the membranes, the uterus will attempt to continue to bleed it out. It won't be able to clamp down as small as it should, and you'll just keep bleeding and bleeding around that um, retained product. Um, So tone, trauma, tissue, and then thrombin or um, coagulopathy is the fourth one. So people who go into DIC or who have low platelets or who have some type of coagulopathy are obviously going to be at higher risk for bleeding. And then you throw in a delivery on top of it and wow, they can really bleed. Um, There's some other sort of small random things like involution and subinvolution of the uterus, but we're not really going to go into that, but they're just words you should be aware can cause hemorrhage if you hear them around. All right, so let's go back through the four. So tone, trauma, tissue, and thrombin. So first is tone. This is the most common thing you're going to see. So for tone, we can do a couple of things. There's one thing that almost everybody already gets, and that's pitocin or oxytocin. We're going to, for almost everybody at almost every hospital, unless they request to not get it, they're going to get an infusion postpartum of pitocin. 
happen. Um, this has been shown to decrease your EBL, your estimated blood loss, or your QBL, your qualitative blood loss, depending on what your institution does. Um, so there are several good studies um, culminating in a meta-analysis in 2013 that showed giving Pitocin it as a rapid infusion as soon as the baby's anterior shoulder delivers decreases the um, estimated blood loss and doesn't increase at the risks of anything, including people used to worry that giving um, Pitocin before the placenta came out would increase the rate of the placenta getting trapped in the uterus. That is not the case. We can give Pitocin safely as soon as the baby is really delivering, so at the anterior shoulder, safely, and it decreases the blood loss. So Pitocin almost everybody gets, so that's not usually the first thing we're thinking of, unless she doesn't have an IV, in which case we've got to be reminding somebody to give her IM Pitocin intramuscular, because you can give 10 units of IM. I am Pitocin if you don't have an IV. All right, so everybody's getting Pitocin, and now we've got three main medications that we use after Pitocin. Um, you've got Methergen, Hemabate, and Mesoprostol. We'll talk about mesoprostol first because it has the fewest contraindications. So mesoprostol is a medication that you probably have heard about both in the terms of delivery and postpartum hemorrhage, but also in terms of um, therapeutic or um, spontaneous abortions. So we use the pill for its ability to contract the uterus in a very um, significant way. We use it if you, you need to evacuate the uterus. For example, they have an incomplete abortion or something, you can use it to help evacuate the products there. Um, but you can also use it, and it's much more commonly used, for actually in very small doses for induction of labor and then for postpartum hemorrhage. So I feel like some people look at it and they're like, oh, it's an abortion drug, don't pay attention to it, I don't want to know about it. But in either case, you really do need to know about it. It has a lot of uses um, and a lot of safe, effective uses, um, even if you don't participate or want to participate in anything abortion-related. So 25 micrograms we use and 50 micrograms we use for induction, so for softening and ripening the cervix. Um, for postpartum hemorrhage, we use a much higher dose. We use either 800 or 1,000 micrograms, so a much, much higher dose. Um, the contraindications to it are pretty much an allergy to it, um, which is pretty rare, thankfully. And then um, the side effect that people can get is sort of a transient hyperthermia. Doesn't always result in what we would consider a true fever, but um, a lot of women will get transiently um, hyperthermic, or at least their, their basal temperature will elevate following administration of mesoprostol. So sometimes it can, um, there's concern that it can lead to an overtreatment for presumed postpartum endometritis. Um, if you, you know, the assumption that they have an infection postpartum if they have a low grade temp, but it could just be the mesoprostol. But it's a safe drug. It's effective. It's easy to administer. You can give it in any mucosal surface. Um, so you can give it rectally, which is probably what's most commonly done. But it takes a little while to dissolve. If the woman's conscious and awake, I usually offer to let her put it in her cheeks um, and let it dissolve or give it, give it buccally, as it's called, or sublingually, um, which is a good option. The worry is that if she is bleeding heavily, she could become unconscious or you know have changes into her mental status, in which case it would not be safe for her have pills in her mouth you know she could aspirate them choke on them um but i think it's sometimes especially if you don't have an epidural a can be a little bit nicer than having pills shoved up your rectum um with very little warning so the other place we sometimes will give it is in the vagina but unfortunately if you are acutely hemorrhaging that's not a great place as you can bleed them right back out and they won't have the chance to do anything um so that was mesoprostol. That's the first one. So very few side, very few contraindications, really only allergy and um, the one side effect being a potential transient hyperthermia. 
Um, the next medication it will talk about is methergen. Methergen is an intramuscular injection, um, and it, it works very well, again, to contract the uterus. It has a bad side effect, though, of actually increasing your blood pressure. So it is contraindicated in anybody with hypertensive disorders, which nowadays is actually a lot of people. So anybody with chronic hypertension, even if it was well-controlled, gestational hypertension, even if it was well-controlled, and especially anything with severe features, um, it is a relative contraindication. So obviously, if you have to choose between um, letting somebody continue to bleed and potentially increasing their blood pressure, especially if, you know, they've been bleeding for a little while, their blood pressure is probably a little bit lower than it was. There is some wiggle room, so it's not a hard stop, but it's always something to think about and something to be conscious of in looking at their blood pressures before you give it. And that is something I've seen show up on shelf exams and things is um, methogen contraindicated with elevated blood pressures or anybody with a hypertensive disorder. Um, the side effect of methogen is really just, it's not, you know, it's not very fun to give in terms of it's an intramuscular injection usually given in the leg or the arm and the, the elevated, in blood, elevated blood pressures. Um, the third medication that we use is something called hemabate or Kerbaprost. It is um, a medication that is contraindicated in asthma is the main thing. Um, so anybody with asthma should not get hemabate. Uh, it can cause an acute asthma exacerbation. Um, and the other fun thing that it causes is, unfortunately, explosive diarrhea. Um, so to the point that you'll sometimes give it in a C-section and before you can actually get mom off the table, um, she will have had a bowel movement. So it can be impressively fast um, working in terms of having a bowel movement and, or having diarrhea. And I always warn moms, if we do have to give hemabate, that they may be uncomfortable for the next day or so with rather urgent bowel movements. Um, so we typically also will at the same time give them low modal to try to um, counterbalance it and slow them down a little bit because it can be kind of painful having to go that much right after a delivery, either vaginal or C-section. Um the hemabate is also an intramuscular injection. It can also be given intrauterine. If you are um, in a C-section, you can inject it directly into the uterus. Um, but again, those are going to be your first three. So everybody's getting Pitocin, but if it's on a test, that should be your first line, Pitocin. And then oftentimes you'll see mesoprostol being the next go-to just because it's cheap. It's uh, usually readily available. It doesn't have to be kept refrigerated or anything. And there's very few contraindications to it. And then based on mom's comorbidities, mesoprost or sorry, methogen or um, hemabate, depending on if she has asthma or um, hypertension or any other issues. Um, so those are going to be most of your treatments for acne. If you go through all those medications and she's still bleeding, we can then do something called a tamponade. So you can actually place a balloon, usually called either a Bakri balloon or a Utah balloon, depending on what your institution carries. Um, and you can place this balloon up inside the uterus and fill it with usually saline. Um, you fill it up with several hundred cc's of saline until it's putting back pressure on the inside of the uterus. So if the uterus won't clamp down and come to me, I can backfill and go to it. And I can put pressure on the walls of the uterus and I can prevent the bleeding by tamponading it from the inside. At the same time, continue with the Pitocin, continue with the other resuscitative measures to decrease her bleeding. Um, and then hopefully by the next day or so, we're able to deflate the balloon and take it out safely without her continuing to hemorrhage. Um, you can do that either in a C-section or in a vaginal delivery. There are some other things you can do in a C-section. I don't think they're things that I've ever asked a medical student about or would really ask a medical student about, but you can do some fancy suturing of the uterus to um, essentially 
do what's called a B-Lynch, which is putting suspenders essentially on the uterus. You anchor it to the lower uterine segment in the front and the back, and you essentially put, you, really there's suspenders is the best way to put it to kind of cinch down the uterus um, to keep it from expanding and filling with blood. Uh, you can do a box suture, which is a front to back suture in the uterus um, to again, just hold the sides together to prevent that cavity from filling up with blood um, and to hold pressure on it from the outside. Um, and if all else fails, you can do something called an O'Leary, which um, is a suture ligation of the uterine vessels, which we tend to avoid whenever possible as it um, potentially might increase future fertility, anybody who wants to have future pregnancies. There's not great literature on it, but if you imagine you're cutting off even just temporarily the blood, major blood flow to the uterus, that doesn't seem great for it being able to sustain a pregnancy in the future. Um so those are more, those are surgical options, but for anybody in a vaginal delivery or in a C-section, you can do all the things we previously talked about before those sutures. So you can do the um, Pitocin, Methogen, Hemabate, Mesoprostol, and Balloon Tamponade. Um, all, if all other things fail, um, there are, there's something called a uterine artery embolization, which um, is sort of like the O'Leary we just mentioned, but is actually something that interventional radiology does. They inject a gel foam into the uterine arteries to prevent bleeding. Again, this impacts future fertility and is sort of some, is a option of last resort. Um, and then the true last resort is a hysterectomy. If somebody is bleeding to death and to save their life, we sometimes have to take out a uterus. That mostly occurs in the setting of very floral terrible sepsis or um, an undiagnosed accreta in creta or per creta, something that's actually causing active bleeding. Um, so those are sort of the last ditch efforts to um, stop bleeding in an acute setting. Um, all right, so that was mostly all tone. That is the majority, like I said, the majority. So if anybody asks you what's the major cause of postpartum hemorrhage, acne, just say acne, don't even think it's acne. Um, other causes are lacerations. So sometimes you can have deep lacerations during a vaginal delivery that will just bleed and bleed. You have good vaginal perforators, um, vessels that can bleed and pump um, pretty significantly. Occasionally we'll have to, after we sew everything up, it's still oozing everywhere. We can't stop it. We pack the vagina with um, packing or curlex to just put back pressure on it. It's it's like the mouth mucosa. It heals so quickly, um, but it heals really quickly because it's well vascularized. So it can bleed really badly, but um, as long as it's just a slow ooze, um, packing for a couple hours can really do a nice job to stop that. Um, if somebody is continuing to bleed and continuing to be intermittently atonic, the other thing you want to do is check and make sure there aren't any products up in their um, uterus. There aren't any membranes. There aren't any um, placenta. So you want to take a look at the placenta. Does it look intact? Are there any obvious pieces missing? And then um, if they have an epidural, and even if sometimes if they don't, do a full sweep. So you'll see us use our hand, but you know, putting our hand entirely up until the into the fundus of the uterus to sweep out that inside of the uterus to um, sweep out any membranes, to sweep out any placenta, to take a feel. Uh, if you have an easily accessible ultrasound, you'll sometimes see us look with an ultrasound as well to see if we can see anything that's retained that could be causing excessive bleeding. Um, so that's retained products or tissue. Um, and the fourth category was thrombin or coagulopathy. So once somebody has bled um, more than a liter or two, or somewhere between one and two liters, you get worried about um, essentially you're, you're now replacing their fluids and you're diluting all of their coagulation factors. And in a lot of places, you're diluting them with cold fluid. And hyper or hypothermia, being cold, can actually further inhibit your coagulation cascade. Um, and so we worry about, we try to warm the fluids, we try to warm the patient, we try to keep everything warm so that your coagulation cascade can work appropriately and stop the bleeding. Um, 
but we also sometimes are diluting it by necessity when you're bleeding. Uh, so we always worry about DIC um, and other di dilutional coagulopathy. So these are going to be pretty emergent situations. You probably won't get asked a whole lot of questions about them, but I have seen questions about DIC on the shelf. Um, so treatment for DIC, if you're asked, is FFP. Um, in a real-life situation, by the time they get DIC, we're usually given that we've already given them platelets, packed cells, packed red cells, and FFP, and eventually we move on and we give them cryoprecipitate, which just has more of those coagulation factors that you have in FFP in a more concentrated manner. So once we're giving somebody too much fluids, we move on and give them something a little bit more concentrated in the cryoprecipitate. Um, but on your test, if they ask you a question about DIC or they're getting a DIC, the treatment is FFP that they're looking for. All right, that should be the majority of things you need to know for postpartum hemorrhage. I think that was probably more thorough than you may have needed, but hopefully at least everything you hear on your rotation now will you will at least have heard once before. So the main things, main things I ask people are the medications to treat for acne, so oxytocin or pitocin, um, mesoprostol, methergen, and hemabate. The main contraindications that we ask people about is who, um, I have a patient with asthma, what can I not give her? If she has asthma, she can not get hemabate. If she has um, preeclampsia with severe features, she can not get methergen. Um, so methergen contraindicated in high blood pressures, hemabate contraindicated in asthma, um, and then the four T's of postpartum hemorrhage, tone, trauma, tissue, and thrombin. Keep those in mind. Hope that was helpful. Again, if you guys have questions, if you wanna hear specific topics, let me know. Um, hit us up on our Facebook at Pimped App or at pimpedapp.com and uh, download the app. It's in the app store, guys. 